Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. Share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Listening to Faith and Family, I'm Andy Bates. Mercy work around the world. Who are those agents of mercy? Who carries out that work of mercy on behalf of the church? We have some fine ladies in the studio today to uh, to talk about the work of mercy work around the world, particularly heading to Peru on a recent mercy expedition uh, to share their story and uh, what's happening there in Lima, Peru. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for Concordia University, Wisconsin in the sponsor section. Joining me in studio this morning, a number of deaconesses and deaconess students from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Deaconess Grace Rao, Director of Deaconess Ministry for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome. Glad to have you back in studio this morning. Thank you for having us. Always glad to, to share a deaconess story and the the, uh, the work of mercy that uh, our sisters in blue uh, carry out on behalf of the church. Thank you so much. And you brought along a fine crew with you today, uh, Deaconess Dr. Jillian Bond, Director of Deaconess Studies, Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, and perhaps a familiar voice here on Faith and Family. Just had a chance to talk with her earlier this week about uh, her many vocations. Dr. Bond, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. It's well. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to have you here today and learning more about your recent trip to Peru. You brought along students with you today. We have in studio with us today, Michelle Musa-Gades. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to have you here. Thank and you. a deaconess student at Concordia Seminary, correct? Yep. Yeah, now, first year. First year? Excellent, excellent. And uh, we also have Rachel Hiley, deaconess student here at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. Good morning. Glad to be here. First year? Yes, sir. And and uh, Bridget Sharp, welcome. Yes, thank you. First year as well? Yes, sir. So all first year deaconess students. And what did you think when you first heard that uh, you were going on a Mercy Expedition as students to Peru? Uh, I was very excited about the opportunity to go to Peru as it was um, my first opportunity to actually go on an international trip. So you're excited. Yes. Very good. Yeah, I was also pretty excited, um, a little skeptical too. I wasn't sure what to expect and I uh, was really kind of looking forward to learning about what mercy work looked like in practice. And so um, there's a lot of questions going into it, but I was really excited and glad we went for sure. Michelle, what did you think when you first heard about the trip? I uh, definitely didn't know what exactly we'd be doing and was excited to get to see another culture. I also had never been on an international trip before, so um, I was excited for something new and to to see what missionaries are doing outside of our nation. What led you as, uh, to consider this vocation of deaconess and this this formation, this, this study and preparation um, for a future vocation as a deaconess? What led you to that, Bridget? Uh, I uh, was getting a degree in social work from the University of Central Missouri, and 
uh, while getting my degree, I was realizing that I couldn't really share my faith within various agencies as I was really wanting to. And while um, attending the Lutheran Student Center there um, on campus, a recruiter from Concordia Seminary came and showed the program, and I jumped on the opportunity um, to become a deaconess because it was what I wanted. I wanted to do social work, and that deaconess program allowed me to share my faith and do social work very, work as well. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle? Um, I've always loved um, talking about theology and uh discussing the Bible with other people. Um, I did my undergrad at Concordia University, Irvine. And so while I was there, they showed me a lot of opportunities with um, pre-deaconess studies there and with preparing for the potential to go to seminary. And uh, throughout my undergrad, I was enjoying my theology classes more than anything and couldn't get enough of it and look forward to getting to write Bible studies and discuss theology and, and help grow our church from working as a church worker. And it made me really excited to get to be a deaconess and work in the church one day. What was your favorite class, your favorite theology class or professor at Concordia University, Irvine? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I love studying the the doctrine of things and how to discuss those topics that I think are really prevalent in our culture and everybody is dealing with in some way and making up their own, everybody has their own idea about how to, um, how to get to whatever they think is after earth. And um, I think being prepared to talk about doctrine is something our culture really needs to hear right now. Rachel, how about you? What led you to consider studying to become a deaconess? Well, um, I was always really drawn to ministry. Since I was 14, I was convinced that I was going to be in ministry in some way. For a long time, I thought I was going to be a DCE, uh, partially because I didn't know deaconesses existed at that point. Um, But once I started learning about deaconesses and what they can do, I was really drawn to the uniqueness of the ministry that a deaconess can offer. Um, I think it's something that our church body is really needing and lacking in a lot of places because deaconesses aren't super prevalent in the Lutheran church yet. Hopefully they will be someday. Um, But for me, uh, the thing that's really driving me in my deaconess ministry goals um, is being able to offer a specialized care to women that we don't always have. Um, Being able to minister to women by women, you know, offers a whole nother angle and a whole nother perspective that Um, our Lutheran pastors, as wonderful and great as they are, sometimes don't have. Um, And so for me, you know, just being able to minister to women in a way that's unique and um, youth ministry is something that's always been passionate for me as well. So um, I would hope to continue to do youth ministry and be able to just grow our Lutheran ministry towards women, um, as well as the different mercy works that we do with all people. Deaconess Grace, the... The opportunity to to serve in Peru. Tell me a little bit about how this opportunity came about and and why you started planning this Mercy Expedition. That's a good question. Well, we had some funds coming from CLM for this grant for this trip, and um, we planned to have such trips not only with St. Louis Seminary students, but also with Concordia University River Forest, as well as Concordia Theologicals. 
Fort, uh, seminary at Fort Wayne. So we were planning for three different trips. So we planned for this opportunity to get an interaction of the cross-cultural experiences as well as in particular, what's the word in sacrament ministry relevant to the deaconess students is prevalent in Peru. So the idea was we already have a deaconess uh, serving there as a missionary, deaconess Caitlin Warden. So that was a good way for us to plan and see how we could take this trip over there. So we had all these thoughts of this mercy mission trip. And years ago, we had planned and we went to some places through the LCMS, World Relief and Human Care. And due to the lack of funds, we were unable to sponsor such trips. So when we got this fund, we thought that we should reinstate the thing. And we don't know how the next year would be, but right now, that uh, Concordia University River Forest will be going to DR in May. The the Dominican Republic. Mm, yeah, the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Deaconess Bond, how does a Mercy expedition fit into this education and formation for future deaconesses? I think it, I first let me express my my huge appreciation f- uh, for the to Deaconess Grace and all involved in making this possible. I think this is a huge addition to our our preparation experience for the students in a number of ways. First of all, I have to say that I have long been passionate about the importance of international missions and of the um, additional component that uh, suitably trained women um, such as deaconesses can bring to that, that mercy work because there are things that they can do in the way of interacting with people in different cultures which... um, which a man may just for cultural reasons not be able to. It's extremely important. Um, But also, it's a great learning experience for the students in terms of seeing how international mission work is done within the LCMS. I have to say, I I had uh, been to the Dominican Republic previously. I have been very impressed with what I have seen happening in both the DR and what we saw in Peru and how it's being tackled but also the lessons that they learn and bring back, both about how international missions can work and and about cross-cultural interactions, apply in so many contexts within this country as well, that this is, they're going to be, have been learning things that they can apply wherever they end up serving. To the students, what did you know about uh, Peru and Peruvian culture, the people that you would be serving prior to your trip when you first found out about this this Mercy expedition? What, uh, how much, how little did you know about Peru and the people you'd be serving? I think most of us were pretty clueless. Um, we knew they spoke Spanish, and that's about it. And I think we kind of intentionally left it that way, too. Um, we didn't want to go in with preconceived notions. You know, we kind of just made up our minds to go in with an open heart and an open mind and just go to serve and love the people however however they are and to, you know, learn from them and learn with them. So then how did you prepare for this Mercy Expedition? How did you prepare for it? Deaconess Grace has something to add. <laughs> we actually uh, yes um I, I would i would agree with them but uh, deaconess caitlin warden had prepared a schedule for uh-huh. us so that schedule was sent earlier but we would uh, because we would were not knowing what each uh diaconal site was representing and what the services were there so we were prepared and we knew that we were doing some children's ministry and doing some a presentation 
for the women's uh, group as, as a retreat. And we were also planning to have an interaction with Sunday school children and the children over there. But since language was a barrier, we were not much able to do, but we did our best. And we took all the resources from here, from CPH, for the uh, people there, not only for the women and children, but also for the other uh, lay people, you know, who were there the first day of the presentation where the young lady spoke on the role of women in the church, gave a wonderful presentation, including Deaconess Jillian Bond. So as as students, how did you prepare? You, you had the schedule from uh, Deaconess Warden, who was already on site and serving there. Were there other things that you did to prepare for your Mercy Expedition? We had um, multiple books talking about mercy care. Um, and so it was more of, uh, it was a class for us students. We, every day we had a Skype session with a different deaconess somewhere in Latin America. And she told us something else about what mercy care means and how mercy work happens in her um, in her country and, and how, how she's living it out. Um, so those those Skype calls taught us a ton about different cultures and about mercy work anywhere you are, um, not only international. Um, so as far as preparing, I think it meant a lot of learning what exactly does this word mercy mean and why um, why does the deaconess job revolve around that? Um, and so that's what our, what our trip focused on. It was a class on mercy for us. Let's talk about uh, making your way to Peru. <laughs> you get on a plane yes travel is always an adventure <laughs> <laughs> tell me about traveling uh, to peru what was the the trip like i think the highlight was the fact that it was overnight um we spent what the afternoon of saturday and all of saturday night on a plane um the three of us students sat together nobody could fall asleep Rachel and I were working on a paper yeah, that was hopefully due. our professors aren't listening to this. Knowing <laughs> we, were, we were frantically working on our final papers at the last minute on an international flight. Typing but. papers and assignments, <laughs> couldn't sleep, arrive in Peru at like six in the morning, um, an hour and a half drive from the airport to San Borja, get there, get dressed for church, and the first day of mission work begins. And they said, welcome to being a missionary. You don't get to sleep. This is how tiring it is. And there was no sympathy. And we hit the ground running, and it was awesome. <laughs> so no sleep, couldn't fall asleep on the flight. Uh, but you got your papers done. We did. Oh, we That's a plus. Yeah. And we yeah. had a great time. Yeah. I think it uh, started the week off right, getting to hang out and be sleepless and figure out how to get through a, a long flight together. Yep. <laughs> Rachel and Michelle kept me up doing their papers, so I could not sleep either. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you land on the ground, as you said, sleepless and jump right in. Head first. Definitely. Yep. What were some of the first things that you did once you, you arrived in Peru? Um, yeah, the first thing we did was breakfast. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we went to the mission house in San Borja, which is their headquarters location there in Lima. Um, I think first, first things first, we all took a shower, we ate some food, um, and then got ready for worship. And we went and had a matin service first thing. Uh, good way to start off our, our mission trip there. In Spanish? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. It was in Spanish. Anybody have any uh, Spanish-speaking skills oh, prior? Rachel. I, I have a little bit. I took you know several years in high school and college, but haven't used it since then, so it's quite rusty. But it, it helped us out in a 
couple sticky situations. <laughs> Rachel downplayed her Spanish abilities the entire week and yet carried me and Bridget through a ton of situations <laughs> like little six-year-olds being really excited and trying to talk and Rachel had to step in and interpret for us and um, Rachel's little bit of Spanish was very helpful that week. <laughs> yes, I would go with that because uh, it was it a Bible study that you were explaining to me? No, no, it was a sermon in Spanish. We had a, <laughs> That was um, in between the services one of the evenings. So she was translating to me the sermon too. So that was excellent. <laughs> Probably only translated about fifty percent, but I got the I got the high points. You know, I mean, that's what matters. That's, that, that's, that's not sure if point. it was the law or the gospel, but it was fifty percent. <laughs> that's right. As you gathered for matins, who who else was gathering there for the the prayer services? The missionaries. The missionaries were there, um, and a few of their, um, I guess, leaders of their mission churches would come for these services. They weren't very heavily attended, but there was a good, you know, small crowd of uh, missionaries and the people that they have come to know and and serve there as well who joined us at times. Are these daily services that they they offer, or was this a special occasion? It was a special occasion uh, as requested by us to have everyday matin. So uh, missionary Reverend Joshua Gale and missionary... Eddie. Eddie Hosh um, took the roles of conducting the matins and the divine service as well. So you gathered for prayer. We not, started with devotions. Yep. Not quite awake. <laughs> uh, and and after matins then, where were you off to next? Yeah. Looking over the schedule, trying to remember. <laughs> trying to remember. Yep. We went straight to... The um, building La Victoria, which technically is a school to teach children various things. What did you see at uh, La Victoria? Um, there is a DCE student down there. Um, what's his name? Levi. Levi, yeah, yes. Levi. And he took us down there that day and he was teaching the kids a Bible study and uh, we played with the kids that day and um, we watched a puppet show that day actually I remember this yeah, um, yeah he taught the kids a Bible story with a puppet show um, who are so, the children that attend this school so um, the missionaries in Lima have five different mission sites that they work at. Um, the one that we went to that first day was in the district La Victoria. Um, and the, the buildings that Bridget was talking about, they call Castillo Fuerte, which means a mighty fortress in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So their mission there is to be just that, a mighty fortress for the kids of the neighborhood to come and find um, safety, shelter, food, love, mm -hmm. Uh, scripture, you know, all of that stuff. So these kids that come to Castillo Fuerte, they are, they're not orphans, they have parents, but their parents work 12 to 18 hour days. And so oftentimes they're left alone without parental guidance or supervision. Um, so these kids from the neighborhood would come and like Bridget was saying, they would get some classes um, started out with tutoring, helping them with their schoolwork because their parents often only had a third grade education or less, and so they are unable to help them with their schoolwork. So the missionaries, Levi and Caitlin and, and the pastors as well, they would help them 
with their with their tutoring. They would feed them. Um, they do sports and dance lessons, public speaking lessons. They teach them all these things that they need to know to be members of their community as well. Um, and they have slowly integrated more and more Bible studies, and now they teach confirmation classes. They have chapel there every day. Um, they do a lot of really awesome things for the kids in this community, and, and they're able to come and enjoy all of that for free. It sounds like you learned a lot about the community just from the missionaries and the students at the school. What else did you learn about those in the, the community where you were sent to serve? Um, that was one of the biggest things about their culture for us to learn. Um, like Rachel was saying, these parents work 12 to 18 hours a day. They are amazingly hard workers and they're very, um, very intent on, on making sure that they have an income for their families. In Peru, if you have an income and you can put a roof over your child's head, you are a good parent. So they aren't able to be with the kids to um, to help them with homework um, or to, to make dinner or to teach them life skills. But that doesn't matter because it takes so much time of the day to get enough money to keep a roof over their heads. Things like knowing to wash their hands before they eat, um, knowing how to get help with doing their homework. These are things that Castillo Forte has had to teach these children. Um, but they've been there for, I don't know how long, maybe a year and a half, two years. I don't remember how long they said. Um, but but by the time we were there, the, um, these kids are washing their hands before meals. They notice at the table after meals, they sweep up. Um, you can tell that they've learned a ton and that they really respect what they're getting to learn at Castillo Forte and they really appreciate the presence of those missionaries. And I think that started because the missionaries didn't go in and say, oh, these kids are uh, clearly not educated enough, so we're going to start a school. They went in and waited for the parents and the leaders of the community to say what they needed. And those leaders of the community came forward and said, we need help tutoring our children. Can you help us? Um, and I think that was a really big lesson for all of us to learn, not only internationally, but also here, um, anywhere you serve in America. We don't need to be walking in and saying, clearly, this is what this situation looks like it needs to me. We need to be waiting for what people inform us that they need so that we're really meeting the true needs. Because through meeting those needs, the missionaries are then able to offer Bible study and confirmation and daily chapel services where the kids weren't even looking at the liturgy guide, they have it memorized. Um, it's really exciting to see how much those kids loved being in the Word and loved being at Castillo Forte with the missionaries. And how many students do you remember seeing at Castillo Forte? Um, in La Victoria, they had probably around 40 at that location that were there daily. And what were the age ranges, do you recall? Um, at La Victoria, I'd say, I think, yeah, six to 15. Mm -hmm. Um, I was at the location San Juan, which is up in the mountainous area where they have huts and these, uh, huts go up, um, people build them and, um, they, um, can uh, be um, on government property, but the government does not regulate it. So people um, just have to take care of themselves. How and did you travel from 
site to site? Um, traveling in <laughs> Lima is very interesting. There was a lot of walking, and then we took buses, and in San Juan, you took little cabs, and uh, yeah, to get to San Juan, you took like the Metrolink here in St. Louis. They have like a train system there, and people rely on the train system a lot. Um, taxis are relied on a lot too, so... And what was the climate this season? What was this was recent? Was yeah, this? Yeah, we were there for their last week of summer school, um, so it was hot. And uh, the equator runs through Peru, and we went from it was like fifty-eight degrees here to eighty something with a ton of humidity. Mm-hmm. And One date um, was hundred two. It was a hundred and two. Mm-hmm. It hundred. We were, yeah, it was very different. It was the middle of their summer because they're on the other end of the equator. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of tripped us up a couple times that we were there for the last week of their summer, their summer school education. Um, So it was nice and warm. It was very nice and (laughs) Well, we have more to learn about the Deaconess Mercy expedition to Peru. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We'll be back in just a few minutes here on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Ohio law requires abortionists follow FDA regulations when it comes to administering chemical abortion pill procedures. Typically, this is RU486. Early last year, the pro-abortion Obama administration issued relaxed FDA protocols for administering this death drug. One of the changes was giving the drug later in pregnancy, which they know results in more incomplete abortions. We looked at reported Ohio complications of the abortion pill before and after the altered FDA guidelines. After the changes, complications more than doubled in one year, and a majority of the problems stem from incomplete abortions requiring an emergency surgical abortion. This is solid medical evidence women pay with their health when Washington plays politics with abortion. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join me over the weekday noon hour for Moments of Assurance, your lunchtime spiritual recipe. You'll enjoy encouraging scriptures, a bit of Bible history and trivia, news items, humor, the kids' corner, and more, all mixed in with faith-strengthening sacred music, a blend just right for your midday hour. So join me, won't you? That's Moments of Assurance over the weekday noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. There are many sounds in your daily life. Ones that make you smile. (laughs) Ones that help you relax. 
And there are some sounds that can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts. Now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you critical information about emergencies in your area. With updates from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know wherever you are. Learn more at ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Popularly known as a Christmas tradition telling the nativity of the Messiah, George Friedrich Handel's famous oratorio, Messiah, proclaims the full narrative and good news of Jesus' nativity, life, death, and resurrection to rescue us from our sin. Join us for a broadcast of this beloved sacred classic, Easter Sunday, 1 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Eddie Bates. We're learning about a recent Deaconess Mercy expedition to Peru. We're talking with uh, Deaconess students from Concordia Seminary St. Louis, as well as the director of the Deaconess Studies Program at Concordia St. Louis, uh, Deaconess Dr. Jillian Bond, and Deaconess Grace Rao, director of Deaconess Ministry for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And our students, uh, Rachel, Bridget, and Michelle, recently traveled to Peru, uh, particularly spent quite a bit of time in Lima learning about uh, the mercy work there and the missionaries serving in Lima. Let's talk a little bit more about the the, the people in Lima that you learned about and uh, what were the needs and the ways that, that you were given to serve while you were there as well. You mentioned that many of the families of parents work 12 to 18 hours a day. So one of the ways that the church has met that need is by uh, by providing a school with a number of resources, tutoring and meals as well. So the students have a, a place and environment that's safe in which to learn and to grow and also to hear and receive God's good gifts in his word. What were the ways that you were given to serve as you were there on your, your mercy expedition? You're obviously learning a lot. Were there ways that you served while you were there also? Yeah. Um, we we got to do a, a variety of things. A lot of it was just kind of aiding and assisting with the missionaries they are already doing, which is good for us because then we knew we were doing, you know, what they were needing. Um, one day we were able to cook meals for the for the kids that were there. We made them grilled cheese because they wanted something American, um, and they loved it, by the way. So maybe they need to start that in Peru. Um, so yeah, we were we were able to cook for them. Um, a lot of our mercy that we showed them was just a ministry of presence, being there, um, loving them. You know, even though there was the language barrier and we struggled to communicate, we tried and they loved they loved us being there. You know, we played with them. We went out, took them out to the park and just had fun. And I think they really enjoyed just being shown affection by people. Um, you know, having adults that are caring for them and showing them that they're valued and um, you know, we, we did try to do some Bible lessons while we were there for the people, not so much for the children, but for some of the adults we taught, like uh, Deaconess Grace mentioned, we uh, led a Bible study on the role of women in the church. We also led a seminar for some of the women of the community on different women of the Bible, and we each picked a, picked a different woman and presented on that woman and taught about that. And for that, we did have a translator, so Deaconess Caitlin um, she translated wonderfully for us as we as we presented in that way. So it's very helpful to have someone uh, who understands a language and the culture to help translate for you while you were there. 
Um, one of the things I was surprised to hear is of the five missionaries that were in Peru, only one of them spoke Spanish before they received the call to Peru. So everyone else learned it um, during their training in the Dominican Republic before going to Peru. And then um, Caitlin has been down there four years now. Yeah. And every single one of the missionaries, including her, are still taking Spanish lessons every week mm -hmm. and working on improving their skills to show the people they are literate and... Um, and and keep up their skills. So that was interesting for me to see as somebody who's not at all good at languages. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're you're in the middle of the culture and in in, in among the people, you learn the language and you learn it as fast as you as you can, and you learn it as as you need to in order to uh, to be able to serve them. Mm -hmm. Well, it it sounds like they're getting along just fine in their language skills, though. Yeah. <laughs> Did that give you uh, some hope that if you serve in an international setting that, that you could learn the language oh, if definitely. need be? Yeah, very much. What, um, during the break, you all mentioned one of the uh, the things that was most interesting to you was the food. You, now, you mentioned that uh, grilled cheese is something, they wanted something <laughs> American to introduce the, the, the children to grilled cheese. Tell me about the food. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about here on Faith and Family as well. Uh, well the, the food of the Peruvian culture. The food was phenomenal. Um, it was so good. Everything we ate there was just delicious. Um, but they have a lot of different kinds of food. And one thing we learned down there is that they have... Um, a lot of national dishes. So, you know, in the United States, you might say something as American as apple pie um, or, you know, a cheeseburger if you want to think of the quintessential American foods. In Peru, there's over 400 dishes that they consider to be that. Like, it, this is the <laughs> national dish. If you are you are a Peruvian, you eat this. Um, one of their expressions that we learned is Peruvian as a potato. So if you want to say something's really Peruvian, you say it's Peruvian as a potato. Um, <laughs> they are, argue that... Ireland and Idaho have nothing on them. They are the original producers of potatoes, and they have over 400, is over that, 500, over 500 varieties of potatoes um, that they grow in Peru. Of those 500 varieties, how many did you try while you were there? Oh, probably 300. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of potatoes, and they were all great. I don't know how many varieties we yeah. tried, though. But food is such a big part of their culture, so we learned pretty quickly that, um, with some guidance from the missionaries, too, but um, if anybody goes, oh, is how, how is your trip so far? If the Peruvians want to ask us how we're doing, we go, oh, you know, we talk about the day, but every time we have to say, and the food is so delicious. <laughs> it is so important to them, um, their food, and, and you always have to praise their food, but man, it's easy to do because they've got some delicious dishes down there. <laughs> so that's a, an important part of their culture. Mm -hmm. Food is an important part of the oh, culture yeah. and recognizing that food and letting yeah. them know that you appreciate the food was, was important to them. Well, what were your favorite dishes while you were visiting, if you can remember the names? Um... One of my favorites is called Sochi Papas, <laughs> which is just literally uh, hot dogs and fries. <laughs> <laughs> With um, it had something on top of it. Yes, like a oh, sausage. Egg. Yeah, put a fried like egg a, on top of it. Yeah, like sometimes it can be fried egg. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, uh, the sausage and, um, and and the dips were very cool. Yeah, and good too. Oh yeah, yeah. sausage and fries is some a little it's called something else a little yes. bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. one of their varieties of potato is like a mix of a potato and what we would think of as a sweet potato. Like they've got so many varieties in between the only two that we think of in America. <laughs> Causa. Oh man. I was telling them during the break, I could taste that when I talk about it. I loved that dish. It's um, like potato and this creamy sauce with shredded chicken in it. That was delicious. 
and their corn. They have over 40 types of corn, and the kernels of corn are the size Giant. of a quarter, each kernel of corn. <laughs> it was huge. so good. Yeah, wow. and they have a lot of um, roasted chicken. That's another one of their oh, big yeah. dishes, which was really good, too. That was delicious. Well, it sounds like, uh, as you mentioned, food is an important part of the culture. And so when do you eat uh, in oh, in gosh. Peruvian culture? Time All the was, time. Time, um, <laughs> time was very bad. In, in Peru, uh, lunch is their big meal. So, you know, they do, they have a larger meal for, for lunch and then do something, you know, like sandwiches or something lighter for their evening meal. Um, but they they tend to have food all the time. What was a breakfast like in Peru? Lots of fruit. But it threw us off because lunch is like 2 p.m. Yeah, one day. So we were all starving by the time lunch got there. 3 p.m. some days. Yeah, a couple of times we had it. 3 p.m. And then Mm -hmm. dinner was at, what, 6 still? Mm -hmm. So by the time it got to dinner, we go, well, you guys just fed us so much a couple hours ago. I don't know if I'm hungry yet. Um, But I think when I got back to the States, I was finally adjusted to eating at 3 p.m. But yeah, that was weird. They eat so late and they have such a big meal for lunch. What time is typically breakfast? I would imagine if, if many of them work 12 to 18 hours a day, their, their meal schedules are probably quite different than ours. Yeah, I think their breakfast schedule is probably similar to ours here where um, you eat when you get up and before you leave for your day. So I don't know that they have a set breakfast time so much as whenever mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. able to eat between waking up and going about your daily business. Deaconess Grace, what did you learn on this trip? Lot about practical uh, experiences, mm-hmm. totally different from the theological pieces what we received every time. But um, yes, it was very heart touching to see some of the women and also the lay men who were given English language classes was important for them as well at the missionary house. Um, what was really the highlight was the role of women in the church and the students have tackled it very well because the question was why a woman cannot be a pastor. So, Michelle and Rachel and Bridget have done it very good based on the CTCR document, you know. So, that was very heart touching for us to see. And all the uh, different uh, centers we have been um, where the, our missionaries help them, serving them, and also focusing on, on the word and sacrament too. So, they were also giving confirmation classes for them, some of them who were interested in um, being a Lutheran. So, Deacon Espond, what did you learn on your trip, uh, on, on this trip? What did you learn about the Peruvian culture? What did you learn about uh, this deaconess formation that, that, that you're in charge of at the seminary? You just move over here a minute. I think some of the things that, that struck me the most have, have really already been mentioned. As far as the Peruvian culture, uh, they are extremely hardworking people. Uh, a lot of times, people, I think, that are I, I think in in the the, the West, our, our sort of cultural view of of people in very poor countries tends to assume that perhaps they're poor because they don't have work, or something like that. These people are working humongous number of hours. They are still, by our standards, extremely poor uh, financially, but boy, are they hardworking. How? And, how do they view themselves? I mean, from by our standards, we consider that poverty. But how do they view their their status right. and their culture? The expect the expectations, of course, because of what they you know they they used to and have grown up with, are, 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 are different. 
Um, that's not to say that they don't recognise the needs that they have, but there's it's it's it seems it's much more well. This is the way it, I, I think the way that it is, you know, and they're glad of the opportunity to improve things. Um, the, one of the things, one of the other things that really struck me about the way that the mostly work is being done there, which uh, you, which you already heard mentioned, was the fact that the the missionaries have contacted local leaders within the community to find out what the local needs are perceived to be, and this aspect of caring for the children. Uh, whilst the parents are working, giving them a safe place to be so that they're not exposed to gang activity on the streets and so on, um, and also helping with tutoring and a variety of things like that uh, is, is huge. And they're pleased to see the opportunity for improvement. The, one of the things that they that they um, are doing, that was at, at San Borja, uh, is doing this uh, coffee and conversation you heard mention of, of teaching English language. That was for folks that already have some English language skills, adults, and, and are looking to improve them because they see the advantage for improving their lot and what they can bring to Peruvian society from having those language skills. So that was actually the context in which we did the... the uh, coffee comes something. What was it? Coffee? Okay, coffee, coffee and conversation, and Yes. Uh, and that was the context in which we did the, the 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 lesson on the role of women in the church. So that was actually done not through a translator, but in English. Uh, you can't help. I mean, you can't, just can't help but go out to these people and and want to help them with with improving things for themselves and their families. How how are you viewed as Americans coming to Peru? How are you received by the children? By the uh, by local residents, how were you received? Um, the children almost didn't seem to care that we were Americans. They asked us questions about it. You know, where did you come from? What kind of food do you eat there? What kind of music do you listen to? They are curious to learn about our culture, um, but more than you know, oh, those are the Americans. Those are the Deaconesses. So they just you know, anytime they saw us, they would run at us with arms you know spread open, coming to give us a hug, yelling diaconisas, diaconisas. You know, they just <laughs> wanted to 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 be with us and you know as Deaconesses rather than as Americans because you know the relationship that Deaconess Caitlin there has built with them. You know, they have such a fondness for Deaconesses just because of the diaconal ministry that Caitlin has done there. Yeah, <laughs> you were smiling. Can't you, we can kind of hear your smile. Yeah, the hospitality was very impressive because mm -hmm. they come and give you a hug and then kiss. You know, mm -hmm. it's, that was even the kids before bidding good, saying goodbyes, like giving us a hug and planting a kiss on either either of the cheeks. You know, it was wonderful. <laughs> very warm. Very warm. Uh, one other thing that that uh, was uh, interesting from the cultural perspective was um, the difference between uh, cultural aspects in the different plate locations that we went to in the greater Lima area. So, for example, the, the hillside barrio area of San Juan de Lirigancho, uh, as the missionaries there were explaining to us, a lot of the folks there have moved down from the mountains. They're relatively recently in the, the greater Lima area. Um, and they have come with this hope of... of, of bettering their family's lot in life in doing that. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, there's much greater sense of optimism there. Whereas some of the folks in the other areas of Lima where things have 
been sort of status quo for a longer time, there's there's more. Um, they were commenting, and you could see it too. In uh, I think in in the people, there's more of a tendency to sort of frustration and depression, and also, and then of course, more development of other issues like gang issues and so on. How would you describe the difference between the the life in the in the city versus life out in the the outer lying areas in the mountains? Did you get a, a, any sense of that? I'm trying to think how to put that into words. Um, it was such a difference. I mean, like Bridget and Dr. Bond have said, um, the people living up on the hills, it's not a an area recognized by the government as official land or a neighborhood. It's literally just a dusty hill. And they stack houses on top of each other to the point a small amount of rain or earthquake could decimate the entire neighborhood. It's not safe by anyone's standards, but this is what they have. And yet that is the most optimistic neighborhood that we visited because that is better than where they were. And they they begin with a lean-to. As they get more money, they put up plywood walls. When they're able to, they add a roof, and they're slowly moving up. Eventually, one day, the government will recognize that neighborhood and create it as another district in Lima. Um, but until then, they live in poverty and hope that their house doesn't fall over. What does that recognition by the government mean? What would that provide for them? Water, electricity. Um, I think that's the mo- yeah, main that's, thing. That's the main thing is water and electricity, which, you know, until the government recognizes it and provides those sort of utilities, um, they don't have it because everything there is, the land isn't owned, it's squatted on. So, you know, this whole area, you know, we talk about it being out in the mountains, but it's still within the city um, and it's still, you know, buildings as far as you can see packed in together so it's it's not the wilderness by any means um but it's just all all of this land is just squatted you know you say this is where we're gonna live and like michelle said you start with a lean-to you know whatever kind of structure of shelter you can afford and provide for your family is what you start with and then slowly add to that and a lot of the women in that community um they peel garlic that's their means of income and i mean it's just minuscule amounts that they get for large amounts of garlic that they just sit there and and peel this garlic all day long. Um, And so they're working tirelessly, you know, all day long for very, very little income. And so it it makes it hard for them to get out of the situation that they're in. How would you say Lutherans are regarded among Peruvians? Uh, Obviously, this mission has had an impact in Lima. What do Peruvians know about Lutherans? Um, what did they know prior to or outside of this mission? Actually, we do not have a partner church there. That is something significant. Significant, and, and our missionaries and LCMS is really building the Lutheran identity among the Roman Catholics. So, the rest can say some. It is. More. It is a very Catholic nation. Even if they don't practice, they still. Um, kind of tip their hat to the um, Mary Mother of God statues that are in like every single park or shopping square. Um, Front of houses. But, but as far as what Lutheran is recognized as, these five missionaries are the Lutheran church down there and they are the only ones creating that identity and they've followed in the footsteps of some other missionaries and we got to hear that, the lineage of missionaries that have been down there. Um, but it really hasn't been over a decade that Lutherans have had a presence in Maru, mm-hmm. in Peru. Um, but it is exciting to see um, 
like the English speaking Bible study that we led about women, they really are curious. They're intellectual people and they want to learn more. Um, so they're not blindly following a religion by any means. There are a lot of different ideologies like any, you could find anywhere. Um, but it's, it's still a growing process. Any, any other comments? Yes. Sorry. Historically, and I apologize that I can't remember the name of the town. I don't know if any of, of you can, but there had previously been some Lutheran activity in a town south of Lima after a natural disaster in terms of disaster response mercy work. Oh, that was during the earthquake. You know, our world relief and human care had the presence in helping them for restoration and send some funds and that was the initial I believe establishing the identity there. Invitation and establishment. How does this experience shape your formation as deaconesses? How how are you what are you going to do with this experience? And as you continue to learn and grow and prepare for full time service as deaconesses? Um definitely focus on using mercy work now here nationally um, within um, the work I do with my RFE church um, as well as what I do as soon as I get a call out of the seminary you know not jump into things you know take time look at what's going on within a parish or institution wherever I get a call and see what's needed not put my own ideas out you know look at what um, others have gifts for and um, what um, children need what the community needs and um, just look at um, what uh, the church needs and um, focus on those things and really get a good idea of what I can help with and not focus on my thoughts but others as well. Michelle, how do you think this will shape your formation as a deaconess? Um, I think Bridget said it really well but um the fact that Mercy Care is completely wrapped up in every single thing that they do. We saw them take hour-long discussions to make decisions that we would see as something small, but they wanted to make sure that it reflected well on showing that they do love every single one of their members and they're not um, prioritizing one of these neighborhoods over the other because they do work in five different neighborhoods that are not close to each other. Um, so I think the, the prevalence and how how clear and how loud and how intentional their mercy care and um, focusing on word and sacrament together in every single thing that they do. That's an international, that that's international, national, um, local neighborhoods. It was, it was very inspiring to see how intentional they are. And I think that's a great lesson to learn. Rachel, how do you think this will shape your studies and your formation? Yeah, just to echo a lot of what the other ladies here have said, um, being able to have a greater understanding of what mercy actually looks like in practice. Because in the classroom, we talk about it a lot. We read books, um, we theorize about mercy ministry, but seeing it in practice is a whole nother thing that really helps you to understand its importance and um, the great uh, 
spectrum that it's on. You know, mercy really focuses on meeting a need with love and compassion rather than imposing your will on them. Um, Bridget mentioned this, you know, in a future ministry setting to really focus on what the people you are serving need because at the end of the day, you are serving them. You're not, um, they're not serving you, you're serving them. So you need to be meeting the needs that they have um, as well as being intentional about the word and sacrament ministry like Michelle mentioned, that was huge in Peru with the missionaries there. They understood that the starting of their mission was meeting needs, that mercy work starts the mission. But then you have to grow from there to introduce the word of God and introduce your word and sacrament ministry to be having the eternal impact rather than just the temporary impact on improving their life situation or their living or their education or their um, social skills, whatever it is you're working on meeting their earthly needs. You know, we have to be focusing on their eternal needs as well and growing them spiritually to um, know and love the word of God and the and the sacraments and, and all that great things that, that God has given us. Who knew mercy work would involve so many potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> we have just about a minute left. Uh, Deaconess Grace, this is one trip. Uh, more in the future? Yeah. Uh, May 8th to the 15th would be Concordia University River Forest with six students and the Deaconess Director visiting there. And they will be in... Um, Santiago and Santo Domingo, two places. So uh, Deaconess Kristen yes. will be taking students traveling to, with yeah. students to mm-hmm. Santiago and Santo Domingo. Santo Domingo. So two different. Very good. And uh, what Deaconess, is, will they be working with the Deaconess there? Yeah. yeah. Very good. They'll be here at KFU too. Wonderful. We'll we'll get them in studio and uh, we'll we'll learn more about their expedition as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for sharing your stories today. It was a privilege to uh, to spend some time with you and learn about your recent trip to Peru and uh, how you learned, how you grow, how you served there as well, and certainly about the missionaries who are presently serving there. Thanks be to God for them and the work uh, as they continue to bring the, the good news of Jesus there. Our guest today, Deaconess Grace Rao, Director of Deaconess Ministry for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Grace, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us here. Deaconess Dr. Jillian Bond. She's the director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you. And to our students, we have Rachel Hiley. Rachel, thanks so much. Thank you. And Michelle Musa-Gates, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. And we also have with us Bridget Sharp. Bridget, thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word on the Messenger of Good News, Worldwide KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.